the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. It's, um, it's funny where the process of writing a sermon can take you. So Luke 11, that we just read out of just uh, in our gospel reading, it's all about prayer. So prayer, how important is prayer? What does it mean for us here and now, in church and out of church, in every area of our lives, in all our relationships? What does it mean to pray? Do we pray? If so, how? If not, why not? Questions that a preacher, when confronted with Luke 11, should try and answer. But during the week, um, we were praying every morning for our bishops as they gather at Lambeth this weekend. And, and for Anglicans, um, we have bishops, and, and every 10 years it used to be that they would gather globally. And it's a big gathering. Um, it's, uh, the Church of England uh, was everywhere where the map was read, and there were bishops. They left behind bishops, and when, we, when, the, when the empire um, retreated, the bishops remained. And um, so it's a very big global gathering of our bishops, and we haven't had one for 14 years for various reasons. So we've been praying for them as they begin their work, they begin this gathering, and both our bishops um, are there at that meeting. And so I've been thinking about, as I've been praying this year, what it means to be part of this Anglicanness, this global whamo that we call Anglican, and, and I'm reminded. That uh, we are St. Peter's Anglican Church on Willis Street, and we are a Protestant Reformed Church. And we are a descendant of a Reformation, a reforming of a church that occurs within a wider movement of reformation, of reforming of the church that takes place in the 16th century in Europe. And the Protestant Reformation completely changes the European cultural, religious, social, and political landscape. And we are a child of that. And we all know as Anglicans the issues that Henry VIII needed a Reformation to deliver to him personally. But the Reformation that is led in the English Church by Thomas Cramner, Archbishop Thomas Cramner, is not a partial Reformation. You cannot dig half a hole. It's the full Reformation. But when Cramner looks to reform the Church, he does not carry that work out in isolation. He's not just sitting in England working out what does the Reformation look like. He knows what Luther is doing. He is aware of what is going on in Geneva with Calvin and the others. And Cramner takes account of what is currently going on. But Cramner is also a scholar of the past. Cramner is not trying to invent the church anew. He recognises that the church is an inherited um, gift upon them. And so he looks back uh, into the church, and um, you'll often see in Cranmer's writing, he quotes people like Augustine. So he goes right back. And so when Cranmer was doing the Reformation in England, uh, our Reformation differs slightly, one that it's top down, but two, that we were very concerned in that Reformation, that we retain those things those things that make us the 
church universal, so we still have bishops who gather at Lambeth every 10 years. We still have a high sacramental view. Um, within the framework of this reforming of what church might be. And one of the ideals of the Reformation is that faith should be available to all people. So Cramner is working to create the environment for where worship is in common, that, that all in common is all, in common practice, that we would worship the same way, that we would, through that practice, have common understanding. So the first thing that Cranmer does is that, as, as the Reformation is, you move from Latin into English, and Cranmer had this idea that somehow we might have one book that everyone used, and that plus the Bible would be enough for worship in the church and understanding what it is to be God's people. And the result of that work was the Book of Common Prayer. And this is the 1662 version, which is the the final authorised version um, that is part of what they call the Elizabeth Settlement. And so it was from 1662 to New Zealand 1989, that piece of work forms the basis of our common life, our common understanding. So common practice is established with the creation of the Book of Common Prayer. But common understanding needed ongoing teaching and development. And so actually if you ever have, you have a little copy or a copy of the 1662 on your um, shelf, I commend you to go home and just crack it open and have a look at around the communion service. And what you see in this to build this common understanding, it's full of little mini-sermons. They seem wordy to us now, but they're explanations of the theological reason why you need to be in love and charity with your neighbour before you come to the altar to take the sacrament. Right? It's building common understanding. So as we worked into this change in the life of the church, um, Kremner decided that there needed to be more teaching. So they created, uh, he collated two books of homilies for priests because up until the Reformation, priests didn't preach. The sermon wasn't a space. And so he did that. And these books were published in 1547 and 1571. Where are you going, Stephen? I'm telling you, I'm about to land where I'm going here, right? These two books are the 33 sermons that are the authorised doctrines of the church. Okay? And so I did a search on prayer on my computer to prepare for the sermon. And what came up was a homily that's called On Common Prayer in the Sacraments and on the Worthy Receiving of the Sacraments. And it was from that 1571 version of prayer. And the trouble was, when I looked at it, it was like doing my Chaucer studies again. Because in 1571, English looks significantly different. But I was able to find a copy of it that had been translated into modern English. And it's really good. And so I thought I would channel my inner Anglican with my outer Anglican outfit and I would give you a sermon on prayer that was published to build our common understanding in 1571. Now this is in modern English and I've abridged it slightly because it's about the prayer of the sacraments and we're only going to look at prayer today. It begins like this. 
Dear Christians, among the many exercises of God's people, none are more necessary than public prayer and the proper use of the sacraments. In prayer, we ask from God all such things as we cannot otherwise obtain in the sacraments. God embraces us and offers himself to be embraced by us. As to prayer, in the scriptures, we read of three sorts. Two are private. The third is common. That is shared by the congregation. Private prayer, the first sort of private prayer, St. Paul speaks of in his first epistle to Timothy. I will that we pray in every place, lifting up pure hands without lawful striving. It is the devout lifting up to the mind of God without speaking aloud the heart's grief or desire. We have examples of this in Anna, the mother of Samuel, who in the heaviness of her heart prayed in the temple, desiring to be faithful. She prayed in her heart. No voice was heard. This way must all Christians pray, as St. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, without ceasing. St. James writes, the continual prayer of the just is of much force and is very effective. The second sort of prayer, Jesus taught in the Gospel of Matthew, when you pray, enter into your secret closet, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Cornelius, a devout man, said to Peter that he was in his house in prayer in the ninth hour, and there appeared to him one in a white garment. This man, Cornelius, prayed to God in secret and was rewarded openly. So then, the first form of private prayer is mental. The second, vocal. The third form of prayer is public or common. Our Saviour Christ speaks of this prayer when he says, If two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. By the histories of the Bible, it appears that common prayer avails greatly before God. and must be esteemed among us who profess to be one body in Christ. When the city of Nineveh was threatened to be destroyed within 40 days, the prince and the people joined themselves together in public prayer and fasting and were preserved. In the prophet Joel, God commanded a fast to be proclaimed and the people to say with one voice, Spare us, O Lord, spare thy people and let not thine inheritance be brought into confusion. When Peter was in prison, the congregation joined themselves together in common prayer, and Peter was wonderfully delivered. Common or public prayer is of great force to obtain mercy and deliverance at our Heavenly Father's hand. Those words from 1571, at our very beginning at our foundation. And in the 16th century, as it is right now, the truth is that there is nothing more necessary 
then prayer. Whether silent or aloud. Whether in secret or in common. Whether petitions or thanksgivings or confessions. Whether it is a considered reflection or a spontaneous stream of consciousness. Whether we talk or whether we listen, prayer is the breath of our being with God. It is the action that underpins all the other signs of life. This homily from 1571 finishes like this. I beseech you, brethren, even for the tender mercies of God, let us be no longer negligent on this behalf, but as the people willing to receive at God's hands such good things as in common prayer are asked, let us join ourselves together and with one voice and one heart ask all these things of our Heavenly Father. Let us no longer be negligent in this. How is not important. Pray in all ways. Pray in all places. Pray at all times. <laughs>